so these sheep are being thrown to the wolves all for the sake of these very elite seminarians and clergy to have their nice little clubs with one another. And it's sickening. Welcome to the Stand Firm Podcast. I'm Nick Landon of Grace Anglican Church in Louisville, Kentucky, and I am here as usual with Matt Kennedy of the Anglican Church of the Good Shepherd in Binghamton, New York, and J.D. Koch of St. Luke's Anglican Church on Hilton Head Island, South Carolina. How are you gentlemen today? Doing great. Excellent, Nick. How are you? I'm doing all right, too. We are going to dispense with the witty banter today. We have uh, full schedules, all of us, and so we are going to jump right into our topic today. Once again, it comes as a result of a Kennedy saying strong things on the internet, this time about an article in The Living Church about two seminaries, Neshota House and Duke, allegedly, quote, bridging the gap between the Episcopal Church and the ACNA. And Kennedy wrote an article about that article, and then Matt and Ann addressed it on their podcast, and the conversation has been kind of raging online ever since. Seminary presidents and even bishops have gotten involved. So Matt, why don't you remind our listener about the problem or problems that the article unwittingly reveals, and I say unwittingly because the article was clearly written as a commendation of these schools. So tell us what the problems are and how the conversation has developed over these last couple of days. Right. So uh... In the Shota House, which uh, in most people's minds is, is a pretty traditionalist place, in the Shota House Seminary and, and Duke Seminary both receive seminarian students from both the ACNA um, and the Episcopal Church. And so this article in the TLC was kind of uh, pointing out how or, or discussing how those two groups relate to one another in these seminaries. And the thrust of the article was, isn't it wonderful that those who are affirming of LGBTQ relationships and sex in the, the Episcopal Church are 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 making these uh, Christian relationships, Christian fellowships with with uh, those who who don't see, who who, re, who disagree with the affirming position. So the article went on to quote the dean of Neshota, who who was happy that there there was these these relationships are forming. I don't know that he knew. All the quotes were in the article when he was quoted. I mean, he may yeah, have, I think he might. He, he, might, may, yeah. he may want to rethink his his uh, what he's what his what he said in 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 the article after having read it. But the most striking and, and troubling thing about about the article and those who are quoted in it is that the students who are Orthodox were describing those who are putting forward. LGBTQ relationships as fellow brothers and sisters, Orthodox Christians. This is uh, this is not something that I. One person said, "This is not a hill I want to die on. This is just a cultural issue." Referring this to each other a, as brothers and sisters uh, in Christ, not a divine thing. Well, and I think it, you know, it was clearly, explicitly stated by the dean of the program, who um, was quoted as saying in the very first day of class at the Anglican study center there at Duke that, uh, quote, there are people here who are affirming of gay marriage. There are people who are not affirming of gay marriage. Every single one of you is welcome. I mean, that is from an, a practicing ACNA clergyman. And it's, uh, you know, I mean, we knew these things were going on, but it's like, you know, this is when they say the quiet part out loud. Uh, I mean, we, we, we were trying to years ago find out who was the, um, you remember they had a joint, supposedly they had a joint Eucharist 
celebrated at the Duke um, Study Center that um, evidently had um, ACNA clergy, if not bishops uh, in present, as well as Episcopal bishops. And we tried in vain to find out who those people present were, but it seems like the um, it's only gotten more explicit and more um, outgoing uh, or more um, overt ever since then, because now it's being celebrated openly in the living church. Yeah, and it, it's they're one of the pushbacks against against uh, our noticing this has been well the, these are individual students you can't draw any large conclusions from the quoted words of just a you know a few students well two things about that um first of all if you are a seminary and you're inviting receiving students from an affirming institution like the episcopal church and an orthodox institution like the acna the, the institutional assumption has to be something like both of these groups are Christian. That's right. Uh, that that's you don't have to say it. That the just the fact that you're receiving students from both sides says it. It's it's just you wouldn't want to receive if you're a Christian seminary you wouldn't want to receive uh, you know, Mormon seminarians along with uh, Orthodox seminarians or uh, Jehovah Witnesses. They don't have seminarians, but they did. And you wouldn't receive. Trinitarians along with Trinitarian ones because you're communicating. We're not really a Christian. Well, you might actually at at Duke. I mean, as far as you might. Yeah. Okay. Right. Well. Well, but okay. So, but within the stream of Orthodox tradition that communicates, we're not really a Christian. For sure. Well, we went we went through this at the. You know, I'm a board member of Trinity School of Ministry, so um, I'm not speaking uh, officially uh, as one of them at the moment. (laughs) uh, Just full disclaimer. But we certainly went through this process and had these conversations and. You know, it was pointed out, and we all resemble this remark, that um, 10 years ago was a different landscape, a different world. And each each successive year, things got um, clearer and clearer and clearer uh, to the point where, you know, even the Kigali commitment that we wrote now could not have been written even five years ago, much less 10 years ago. And so the question is not necessarily judging the past or even even how we got to where we are. But the question is going forward, what is the response to and the adherence uh, to the Kigali commitment, among other things, with respect to ACNA, clergy and and uh, diocesans um, going forward? Because I think, you know, I want to have as much charity for, I mean, the years that I was on the board, long suffering, um, you know, with uh, sort of the brackish tensions between the ACNA and the Episcopal Church, they got to a point um, but it did take some time. And so I think that's where we could we could question how we got here. And I think that's an interesting discussion. But the real I think the real questions going forward, Lee Gatiss on one of our Facebook posts put it out. What are the actual ramifications of Kigali now for Orthodox Anglicans around the world? Because we're asking these Orthodox primates not to go to Lambeth, to participate in these meetings, to essentially perpetuate a lie of our of our communion, that it's not broken by their participation. We're asking them not to do any of this. And so, you know, what At ramifications does that have for us? That's right. That's right. And so what does that look like? You know, does it look like decreased students? For some of these seminaries, you know, does it look like angry alumni? You know, does it look I mean, I know these things that it does look like this, in fact, um, but at what cost? You know what what that's part of the great cost that we're going to have to start counting, um, I think, going forward. And not just these seminaries, but but bishops and dioceses across the board. I mean, you know, Nick, correct me if I'm wrong, but I know your bishop has a fairly clear position on the relationship between the ACNA and the Episcopal Church. I mean, can you clarify that or? I am not to take communion from someone ordained in the Episcopal Church. 
Well, and that's a very, that's a pretty clear statement right there. Have either of you guys heard any sort of vociferous clarification from the leadership at either of these schools in either way? Like, no, we are absolutely a biblically faithful Orthodox institution. Well, uh, yes, uh, on, I won't, I should name him, but uh, one of our, uh, our colleagues in the ACNA and in my diocese posted about this on his Facebook page and Garwood Anderson, who's the Dean of Neshota came in to essentially say everyone's misreading the article and misunderstanding his, his take. And then he, in a private message, assured uh, this colleague of ours of his orthodoxy with regard to the sexual question, and that he doesn't think that he does not think that those who are on the affirming side are within the pale of orthodoxy. He would not say that publicly, though. And then here's where I, here's where I I think that's and his that's, convictions and the teaching of his school may not be the same thing. That's yes, that seems to be. I'm not sure if he's talking. Yeah, I don't know what I, I'm assuming he was talking about his own personal convictions and not about the uh, not about the school, but I don't know. And so that's been said privately that but Garwood Anderson, um, there was a tweet by Sean P. McCain Tires, who is a Duke graduate, but also an ACNA priest down, I think, in Austin, Church of the Resurrection. He's a rector. He's a rector there. Um, and if you were to look up, you know, woke in this area, you might see his uh, his face by it. Uh, he's very he's he's taking all the all of the typical woke positions on just about everything. But he posted after having read the Living Church article, he he posted this insightful testimony on the important work that these institutions are doing. Thanks, Living Church. I'm grateful for the ways Neshota House and Duke Divinity are embodying the gospel in community education. So he reads this Living Church article about these these relationships are being forming, these these fellowships that are forming, this recognition of the Christianity on both sides and celebrates these relationships as the embodiment of the gospel. Well, Garwood Anderson liked that tweet now now you can we can say all kinds of things about what it means to like a tweet right but at the but you know unless his finger slipped <laughs> and he just didn't I mean which hey let's let's give him a minute maybe his finger slipped but regardless uh, you have a public record out there of his his affirmation of, the, of that sentiment so i think it's really important for him to get in front of this and say and if he if he if he does not agree that that's an embodiment of the gospel he's to say that publicly and explain his his like with the 21st century focus on trauma and harm and microaggression, I find it, uh, I guess dubious is the word that I would want to say, that these TEC seminarians are existing in these clearly biblically orthodox seminaries where the New Testament and Old Testament are being clearly interpreted with a firm hold on a biblical sexual ethic and still having these wonderful conversations and happy experiences. It seems to me that we would be hearing all about how homophobic these institutions were being instead of how welcoming they are. That's right. Yeah. I mean, I think you, I, I, yeah. I mean, I think that's, that's, that's the obvious 
implication of this article that no one is being shamed for their beliefs one way or the other, which is because it's not an important belief is is ultimately the the argument. I mean, this is the we don't need to go um, to shaming, just challenge them. That's right. Well, you know, but I think it should be safe before we go too far. I think it's I think it should be noted that Nishota, the Nishota house is much more, much less of a, in my opinion, egregious problem with this article than than Duke Divinity. I mean, I don't I don't think there's there. I mean, there are people on the board. There are uh, professors there that that they are in the process. I mean, I, I just have some sympathies to where they are with respect to where Trinity was. But I do think the question needs to be called. And, you know, going forward, there's going to be some interesting discussions. But the the Duke Anglican Studies program, as we pointed out for for years now, seems purposely intended to undermine the supposed, you know, psychological or emotional disagreements that we have concerning these adiaphora issues on human sexuality. Um, so much so that one of the ACNA ordinands even mentioned that her um, good married, quote unquote, married gay friend is going to have a wonderful ministry in in the Episcopal Church and that they would, you know, essentially agree to disagree. And so I think the problem, as we've noted um, at, at length and also has just recently been articulated with Kigali, is that we are called to separate from people with whom we have substantive fellowship breaking differences. And, you know, we have lived this reality and now it's time to, um, you know, to work out the ramifications of it all the way down to the seminary level. I think. And it's for their ultimate benefit, right? They finally are told you're outside the fold here. And that our prayer is that that news that's right. Open their eyes. You treat and them as an unbeliever, repentant, right? Which means like, to preach the mean, gospel to them. That's right. It means to welcome them to repentance. It means to show them the sacrificial love of Christ. But it does not mean to agree and affirm the, the, their positions. And you know, we we've had conversations about this all the time. And I actually um, had some offline conversations with some very high level ACNA people um, saying that what we are doing is producing the next generation of TEC clergy if we're not careful. Because when it, if if we are making equivalency between quote-unquote faithful Episcopalians and quote-unquote faithful uh, ACNA clergy at the level of seminary. Well, then when you have two options leaving seminary, here's a storefront where you have to um, go on food stamps to get health insurance and work part-time at Starbucks and also preach in the ACNA perhaps, or here's a you know, a seventh round curacy on a quote-unquote con- conservative communion partner church somewhere in Texas which of these is you're going to choose? And we have already told you that there is a moral equivalency of the two. Like it, it makes no difference to us because we have we have taught you that for three years. It is just as well to be a quote unquote conservative Episcopalian as it is an ACNA. And to be sure, perhaps five years ago, that was the case. Maybe even uh, you could argue, you know, I mean, uh, you you were ordained 30 years ago and, you know, it's complicated. I've heard all the arguments, but right now where we are, is that if you are pursuing ordination in the Episcopal Church, you are submitting yourself to a an apostate, uh, quote-unquote, well, it's a denomination, but it's an apostate, quote-unquote, church, and you um, should not be uh, considered, along with the ACNA, as faithful brothers and sisters, shepherds in Christ. And you could be a, you know, and, and this is where... Um, you know, I've had lots of conversations. I don't say that with any joy. You know, it's just like the whole tenor of the GAFCON conference. It's a it's a sense of lament. It's a sense of loss. You know, every every conversation we have about this is is laden with relationships and history and expectations and dashed hopes and all the things. And yet, 
here we are, you know, and I, I, I know y'all couldn't come back from um, Africa seeing the conviction and the passions in these people around the world who, as you pointed out, Matt, at much greater cost than we have with a certain, you know, dislikes on Facebook or, or you know, you hurt my feelings type um, sentiments um, have made this commitment. And I think it's time for the ACNA to, um, to really consider what that means for us all the way down. This is stuck in my craw for a long time. It's been the, the first evidence of this kind of thinking, the first most, the, the biggest scandal along these lines came about with Tori Bauckham at, at Tro Church in 2009, 2010, and his relationship with Shannon Johnson, who is the Bishop of the Episcopal Diocese of Virginia. And they were entering into mutual ministry, and, and Tori Bauckham talked about what, you know, what, what, a, what a great Christian man. Shannon Johnson was, and and that provoked a huge controversy. That ultimately, I think ended ended badly for, and rightly so, for the Reverend Bauckham, who's now Roman Catholic, I believe. My thoughts about that situation and and what I've seen since is that those on both sides, the Episcopal Church and the ACNA, who really want these kinds of fellowships and these kinds of relationships, it's a very elitist way of looking at the church. And, and, and unity. So when so when uh, Tory Bauckham used to talk about it, he would be describing the, the really close, tight brotherhood that he had with Shannon Johnson. They would get together, they would go on retreat together, they would pray together, and same kind of things you, you read in this um, article from the Living Church. Uh, very similar to an, an article that was published, I think, two years ago by Hannah King. Why can't we all get along? I think it was, or why can't we just be friends? With some uh, article along those lines. But how the the great the effervescence of friendship and love and fellowship that she met with fellow clergy or seminarians at Duke, I think it was. So the reason I mentioned that word elitist is because, you know, here you have shepherds who who think the unity of the church and the and, and the and the fellowship of the gospel is exemplified by going to these very, very elite schools and drinking sherry with people across the divide. Meanwhile, you've got sheep in the ACNA and elsewhere who are struggling with same-sex desires, who 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 have who who really would love because they're sinners like everyone else. They would love an excuse to give in and not fight anymore. And and their their rector, future rector or their or the or the seminarian from their church is rubbing elbows with a guy who says that is totally fine. You you go, you have all the sex you want. Are you, you get married to your boyfriend, or your girlfriend, it doesn't matter if you're a boy or a girl. And, and, and your, your future rector or your seminarian saying, Hey, this is my Christian friend who's saying these things. What does that do for the guy or the woman who's struggling with same sex desire? Yeah. What does that do? It throws, it, it, it throws them into the darkness. It just, uh, they then have very little, I mean, if they're, if they're shepherds, if their shepherds are are saying these people are Christians, well, there's no reason for for the pure person who's struggling right. to struggle anymore. Why why, why would you struggle? Yeah. Uh, but and that's all. So these sheep are being thrown to the wolves, all for the sake of these very elite seminarians and clergy to have their nice little clubs with one another, and it's sickening, actually. Yeah, I mean, it's I've, I've said this in other contexts, but it's it's 
unbelief masquerading as piety i mean that's all it is like you know did god really say do we can we really be sure about this you know like i may be right you might be wrong you know who really knows i mean that that type of cancer and it happens to that happens to be with it with the uh, question of our age right now human identity and human sexuality and things but down through church history we see that type of unbelief in church leadership have an incredibly destructive force i mean the number of people that i know who had an offhand conversation with a with a, um, a essentially unbelieving clergy person who got into the church, you know, somehow through through um, anyway, should not have been preaching or teaching and express their doubts, you know, express their inability to hold the mysteries of the faith with a good conscience, you know, and um, and and that has wrecked havoc on the sheep because, you know, can send people spiraling, can spend, send people. Well, if, if that's not true, then what is sort of thing, you know, and I think this is where we have, you know, the ACNA. I, I was just talking about this in my church on this past Sunday because I'm still kind of I know y'all are too sort of recovering uh, sort of spiritually and emotionally and physically, for that matter, from our trip to Africa. But but one of the things that was impressed upon me so dramatically was how significant the ACNA actually was you know i mean i was a younger man i didn't grow up in the episcopal church and i know you you know you did mad and so you and you had your own journey but the fact that we had spent 10 years under this threat of lawsuit i mean we were ready to leave you know i just reflect i said we had we had a presbyterian church down the street i, I mentioned this in the rector's form and i said and i don't know if all of you would have gone but i was i took the job expecting to leave like this is where we are this is how much this meant to us and so you know if you aren't there then you know i'm not going to poll take a poll but just so you know like your leadership here the diocesan leadership and now the acna and in the global south is has counted this cost and is and is has made and is willing to make these dramatic sacrifices and all of that is called into question all of that is called into question when you have um, seminaries that are simply saying, well, you know, we're, we're going to reach across the aisle here as if it was a disagreement about, um, you know, how deep the, the water of your baptism font needed to be or something. I mean, we have we have said you don't have to agree with us. And Duke certainly doesn't seem to. But we have said that this is a communion defining salvation questioning issue from particularly from a church leadership perspective. And that has been now doubled down on numerous times around the world. And like I said, it is all called into question when we just cavalierly say, well, you know, we're going to sort of agree to disagree, share a, a cigar and, um, you know, keeping each other's Facebook feeds um, going forward because um, it just, it, it calls it all into question. And I think it's, I think you're right to be, we're right to be somewhat alarmed by the celebratory nature of the article. Although coming from the living church, I'm not surprised because there's a whole generation of Episcopalians who are essentially expecting, you know, the boomers to to die out and sort of, and then the the next generation is going to get with the program and see, um, you know, maybe we maybe the whole thing was was a mistake, um, and that's kind of the underlying expectation, which. Um, you know, hopefully we can thwart, but it seems increasingly the case that some people that are ACNA priests are simply uh, there because it was a lot faster and easier to become an Anglican that way than it was to go through the traditional Episcopal structure, you know, because I'm like, how did you get here? How did you, did no one tell you about the Jerusalem Declaration? Has no one talked to you about the numerous churches and lawsuits that were all over the country and the fact that um, most, if not all of our upper leadership had been like physically, uh, not physically, literally deposed and defrocked for their for their disagreements with the bishops on these things? Did you, you know, I'm not the one, we've talked about this before, we aren't the ones who are unaware of the past, uh, but there certainly seem to be many people who are, which is, I hope we're not already defeated, as Anne said, but it certainly was a, we certainly got some work to do. 
Well, that was one of the funniest things about the article in it. And funny, not necessarily in a ha-ha way, but, but funny. I, the depiction of those of us who've been through the war, um, as you know, these boomers, they just, they're just, yeah, they're right. just, you know, once the boomers die off, they're so upset. They're just drinking in sure the whole yeah. time and just sitting around sort <laughs> right, of like right, right. hoping that. Um, yeah. But as soon as they die off, well, you know, then we can. Well, you know, the golden future, right? It, it couldn't help but remind me with uh, back when Wes Hill was a faculty member at Trinity. He wrote an article for Commonweal uh, called After Boomer Religion. I don't know if you remember that. It was the same oh, sort of. Uh, and so. um it was when Serene Jones, remember, if, I think it was uh, Union Theological Seminary, like to everyone's shock, affirmed the bodily resurrection of Jesus. And it was like, you know, well, you missed, there was some sort of, that became like a indicator that perhaps Union wasn't all the way gone because they would uh, have not abandoned like, but he had this, um, he had this article in it and it was called After Boomer Religion. And he talks about how this he says, the evangelicals I follow were rightly, albeit predictably, upset, but I also follow a lot of fellow Episcopalians and other progressive mainline Protestants. The one I have in mind are, for the most part, young, educated, left of center in their politics, LGBTQ affirming and committed to all manner of other progressive social justice causes, and mostly uninterested in the latest trends in worship, music, or church planning, preferring instead the stability of venerable institutions and formal liturgy. And virtually to a person, they took Jones's comment as an occasion to affirm, nay, celebrate the traditional doctrine of the empty tomb and Jesus's bodily life after death. And so he's painting a picture of what he thinks is the future of of well, I guess Christianity in America is this sort of young, educated, urbane, LGBTQ affirming, so on and so forth. And that is the idea of the the future sort of Episcopal Church that is being co-opted, or at least is certainly infecting, it seems to be, uh, the next generations of seminarians to the extent that if they're talking about their friend, quote unquote, married gay man as a, you know, looking forward to watching his ministry in life. Well, then I don't know how far from creedal biblical orthodoxy you could get to be able to say that. And yet this is a person that's going to be a cleric in our church. And it's, um, you know, it's it's alarming. I want to underline something that you said earlier, J.D., about uncertainty and doubt that we are told by publications like the living church or, or their ilk, you know, even worldly ones like the Atlantic or the New York times or, or lots of media and films that certainty is by definition bad and that who, who would deign to be sure about anything. And that the really enlightened view is to think, well, maybe I'm right. I certainly believe what I believe, but I'm just as open to the exact opposite of what I believe. And we're told that that kind of expression by clergy is actually welcoming. Oh, isn't this a wonderful, thoughtful person who's open to being wrong about it? Open-minded. That's right. When in fact, I think what you suggested is true, that that's actually cataclysmic for the people who hear it and they think, well, if this guy doesn't believe, that's right. Maybe none of this is worth anything at all. Well, Martin Luther famously says in the bondage of the will that, you know, the Holy Spirit is not a skeptic, you know, and so we're not expecting um, the Holy Spirit, nor do we believe that he has spoken definitively on every single possible issue. So is that we have no, no room for faith and even doubt for that matter. But when it comes to these fundamental life altering sort of substrata of our existence, you know, male and female, created in the image of God, you know, the purpose and need for our bodies, the the goodness of marriage, you know, the, the gift of children, these things that have been 
been part of the covenant witness to the world since well, the beginning. Ex- explicitly spelled out in Holy right. Spirit inspired scripture. And tradition, you know, right. and throughout tradition and reason, as it were. Like there's a very reasonable argument to be made about the commensurability of male and female bodies, for instance, you know, <laughs> I mean, it's that, despite what you may hear. And so, you know, it's it's heartbreaking to a certain degree because, you know, there these people will be unleashed on someone. And so, you know, we do we do pray for those people already that they would be given discernment to understand when they are being misled um, by false shepherds, you know. But 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 from a deeper or a, a broader perspective institutionally, I do think that the outworking, the outwalking of Kigali is should be a topic of real discussion, uh, I hope, amongst leadership in the ACNA, uh, because, you know, they, these, these uh, bishops were there, you know, these, these archbishops have, are, are implicated in a good way to this commitment, but with any commitment, the difficulty of, of, of saying is one thing, the difficulties in holding to it. And so I think, um, you know, I'm, I'm expecting over the next weeks, months, uh, hopefully not years, but perhaps some of the ramifications of the statement in Kigali about how it is not possible to walk together with those who are in darkness. And there's nothing that's more dark than a purportedly Christian cleric affirming and blessing that which no. God has explicitly uh, prohibited. And so it'll be, you know, I, I hope to be a part. I'm, I doubt I'll be a part of the conversation. <laughs> and, and we can put out my number at the end of this. If anyone right, wants right. To, uh, but um, it's a one nine hundred number. That's right. Five, 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 six, eight, seven. Truth. The commitment could not be clearer. It's right there in black and white that the communion between GAFCON provinces like the ACNA and others like the Episcopal Church is broken without repentance that's it right we we can't walk together with those who are leading others into um into damnation so what i think needs to happen ultimately is there either needs to be something added to the acna's constitution or some kind of resolution at the provincial council which would forbid bishops from sending seminarians to seminaries that accept tec or affirming students and then, a, and then maybe a, in addition to that, saying that those who are already in the ministry or who have graduated from such a seminary need to pledge uh, that they affirm the Kigali commitment and that they'll conform their lives to it. Because otherwise, we our, our, the signature of our archbishop doesn't have much, well, it's, it's not worth the paper it's written on. If, if, we, if we can't enforce this in our own backyard, where it doesn't cost us anything, this will cost us no money. Just to tell, just to say to our diocese, diocesan bishops, you cannot send seminarians to be educated in a place where they're going to be taught that you can walk together. That will cost us nothing. It will cost. It is costing places like Niger, bishops in places like Nigeria and Uganda and Tanzania because they're not going to get the money that they would otherwise be be funneled from Trinity Wall Street through Canterbury as long as they be quiet and. They can hold their personal convictions, but just don't make a ruckus. Well, now they're making a ruckus, and that money's going to be shut off. It's going to cost them a lot. And for us, meanwhile, to be still bishops sending seminarians to these schools, I think is, well, maybe they didn't know about it beforehand, but now they do. And if they keep sending them now, it's reprehensible. Well, I think there's a there's an opportunity for some clarification, I think. I think that would be, you, yeah. you know, because uh, I... Cause, Did you, you know, know about I, this... Well, and, and uh, even I mean, for again, the schools, I'm just... you know, like I could see a school accepting a student who was willing to be taught the truth, even if they 
I mean, I could see me welcoming somebody in not to membership in my church, but to sit under my teaching who didn't agree with me or with our people, if they were willing to not. You know, I, I, I think, think that would be, I think I, that's the argument at least. And I'd be interested in your thoughts, man, but I, I think I haven't spoken to anyone, but I think the argument of Nishoda in particular is that they are clear on what they believe and the Episcopalians to the extent that they go there are also clear and are, are part of these these dioceses where you can still to this point be you know at least have these convictions um and so i think that's their argument now i would respond to say that well because we're we're developing these this we're we're, we're allowing for an unquestioned support of people that are going into leadership in yeah. this church that is is i think that's an interesting problem that you know needs to be thought through because if someone is says, "Well, I will sign on the statement of faith," I'll, you know, be, but it would be impossible. I guess you're you're putting it for someone in the Episcopal Church to sign the Kigali statement right. of commitment because they would say, "Well, I have to be out of disfellowship with myself." <laughs> um, and so, uh, and so, I think, um, yeah. Anyway, I'm just thinking. I mean, I think I'm, I'm sure Nishoda would say that, but judging if 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 any of the people who said any of the things were quoting Living Church, right. Are from Nishota, that belies the whole argument. I mean, it, it sounds uh, like they're having a wonderful and unchallenged experience there. Exa exactly. So, I mean, I actually think it's bad for a seminary to not require students to have a basic, essential confession of faith before they come in. And, and now, in, the, in this day and time, I think that confession of faith has to be the full affirmation of marriage. Uh, the doctrine of marriage, um, because otherwise you're inviting you're inviting wolves into your own the, the training area for shepherds, which is yeah. which is uh, which well, is I mean, a, this is a great thing. This yeah. is an appropriate time to to tell everyone how uh, great the new dean of Trinity Seminary, Brian Holland, <laughs> the Reverend, very Reverend Brian Holland is, and his Trinity School for Ministry is uh, alive and well. And we are <laughs> accepting students. <laughs> accepting students. Him. And yeah, we are... Um, <laughs> so I won't put you all on the spot, but we're in the process of building this enormous, uh, wonderful convention center slash chapel um, called the Trophimus Center there in the heart of Ambridge. And as you well know, as everyone knows, Trophimus, a uh, character from you know one of the Apostle Paul's early Gentile converts, um, who helped uh, spark and was precipitating his ultimate, uh, his final arrest, really the one that led him to Rome and imprisonment. But it's a wonderful time. There's a lot of uh, good spirit, and uh, certainly with respect to this question, um, I was glad to see that Trinity was not on this list. Um, I have to say, it was heartening, and I, uh, I said as much when it came out because it came out weeks ago. And I, I pointed out to anyone who listened, like, look at this, like we are, um, we are an ACNA, we're devoted, we're, we're committed, and we are in many ways, uh, just grateful for the sacrifices that have been made to bring us to this place. And we don't want to undermine those in any way. And so anyway, that's my little pitch. Uh, well, I, I'll tell you, I mean, I, I met the, I met the new Dean at GAFCON and I was suitably impressed. I, and, and you know, I'm not, I'm, I tend to be very skeptical about um, <laughs> these things and it's been in Trinity has has not been in the past anyway somewhere that i would i mean i, I, I had my suspicions um however which you have duly noted and i have been gracious in receiving yeah. that's right yeah <laughs> but but i'll tell you i met the new dean and i i asked him about the questions you would imagine me asking and i i came away suitably impressed and i, I well, let me I, i'm very i'm very impressed with him and i think that the trinity is now taking a, a really good turn at this point i'm excited well let me say this this and maybe this is in conclusion like you know trinity Nishoda, ACNA, we have 
come through and we're walking through uncharted landscape and in it's it's quick and it's easy and we i resemble this remark to 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 look back and and say well you should have left then you should have done this then you know why did you stay so long why didn't you stay and all the various things and i think to a certain degree that's interesting but only within sort of the confines of of um kind of shared fellowship of believers you know because in reality we're trying to navigate this and it's increasingly complicated but it's also becoming increasingly clear and i think that all of the various conversations that must be having in the Shoda board, um, I can only imagine, you know, questions of alumni, questions of donors, questions of funding, questions of the difficulty of higher education, you know, questions of allegiance, all these things, you know, and so I want to be as generous and as as graceful as possible with all these. But I do think going forward that we have we have come to a, a another inflection point, you know, not every year has brought us one, but this is this has become one. And I think um, we will be praying, you know, praying for because it, it's going to take some some courageous leadership, you know, from the diocesan level all the way to the various board members to the um, to clarify things as opposed to making them more obscure. And and we'll be praying for that. And you know, I hope that we have uh, two decidedly ACNA seminaries going forward. You know, that would be wonderful. I mean, you know, it was always, it was always seemed to be the case in the show and Trinity were like the two, you know, bookends kind of the evangelical and Anglo-Catholic of the, of the conservative hopeful resurgence. Well, that didn't work with the Episcopal church, but it certainly still could be held out for the ACNA. And I would welcome and do welcome many of the um, people from Neshota into the ACNA. Um, and I, um, I pray that there will be a, um, clarifying conversations that will take place and that we will on the other side of this have an even more firm sense of calling and conviction that will still be uh, lamenting and hopeful that repentance will take place but it won't be perpetuating this confusion that um that seems to be going on now well this is certainly i think just the beginning of a longer conversation it feels that way to me we have though reached the end of the time that we can spend on it today we do thank you for listening to stand firm this week if you want to keep the conversation going with us you can be in touch and rate and review the podcast on itunes or send us an email at mailbag at standfirminfaith.com or you can join the anglicans for the gospel facebook group thank you to jd coke and matt kennedy I'm Nick Lannon, and Lord willing, we'll be back next week. Until then, by the grace of God and Jesus Christ, we'll be standing firm.